Shakespeare Festival's Shakespeare Playground presents Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. At Island Shakespeare Festival, our mission is to provide accessible classical theater realized for a contemporary audience. Tales from the Vomitorium is presented with special permission from Scott Kaiser and is made possible, in part, by support from our sponsors, the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, and Whidbey Telecom. Learn more at islandshakespearefest.org. Today, Jeff Natter reads Shrewd by Scott Kaiser. Following the story, Jeff will share his response. Then, Scott and I will discuss Scott's inspiration for the story, as well as his experience with the play from which the story is derived. We hope you enjoy. Shrewd by Scott Kaiser Read by Jeff Natter I need more from you, Cam, demanded Peter. If you hate what I'm doing so much, Pete, blurted Cameron, why do you want more of it? An arctic chill fell over the room. Peter was in the throes of directing The Taming of the Shrew at the Paducah Shakespeare Festival in Kentucky, and it was not going well. His Catherine, played by a small, effeminate man named Cameron, was giving him no end of troubles in rehearsals. We're time, folks, said the stage manager, a large, middle-aged Germanic-looking man that people called Grumman. Let's break for the day. Please check the call board for tomorrow's call, and we'll see you all back here in the morning. As the room slowly cleared, Cameron approached the director's table and stood over Peter, glowering. I hated the way you talked to me just now, Pete. What are you talking about, Cam? No matter what I show you, you're unhappy with it. I'm very happy with what you're doing, Cam. I think it's going well. It's just that I need more from you sometimes. The stage manager started to break down the room for the evening, hoping to remain neutral from the nasty squabble brewing between the director and his lead. You pretend that you're being collaborative and supportive, but it's bullshit, said Cameron. You nod and you say yes, but we always end up doing exactly what you want in the end. Well, I'm the director, protested Peter. It's my job to have the final say about what we're doing. Yes, but when I agreed to placate for you, you said that you would be open to my ideas, and so far you've shot down almost everything I've suggested. Oh my God, that's just not true, Cam. The role is so much more you now than it is me. No, I feel like a puppet. Like you've got your hand so far up my ass that I have to do whatever you say. What about the wooing scene with Petruchio? Most of the bits we're doing are yours. Oh, bullshit, Pete. Those are your bits, not mine. I'm so sorry that you feel that way, Cam. Wow. Did they teach you how to do that at Harvard, Pete? Make that lovely non-apology apology? I don't know what you want from me, Cam, said Peter. Tell me what you want from me. I want you to treat me with the same respect that you do with all the other members of this cast. I treat everyone exactly the same, said Peter. If anything, I favor you over the other actors. You favor me? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I do. You just can't see it because... Because what? Insisted Cam. Because you're blind with red-hot fury most of the time. Well, let me tell you this. The other actors are just as furious with you as I am. They just don't have the guts to say so. 
Well, I'm sorry to hear that. If they're unhappy with me, I wish they'd come to me with their issues. See, you're clueless. Don't you know they would never do that? Why, demanded Peter. Because they think that you'd take it out on them or fire them. I wouldn't fire anyone just because they felt they needed to. You're such a fucking liar. You would. You absolutely would, exclaimed Cam. Well, if I'm such a fucking liar, why are you still on this show? Why don't you just quit? No, you're not going to get rid of me like that, Pete. I am not going to quit. Well, I'm not going to fire you, Cam, so if you want out... We need to stop now, folks, said the stage manager, interrupting firmly. I've got to lock up. Fine. Thank you, Grooman, said Peter, masking his deep frustration. Grooman began to turn out the lights. So, Cameron asked Peter, are you ready to go home? Sure, said Peter quietly. Okay, said Cameron. I'll go get the car, love. Okay, said Peter. I'll meet you outside, sweet. That was Shrewd, read by Jeff Natter, recording from his home on Whidbey Island. You may recognize Jeff from our digital production, Musings of Fire, and we can't wait to welcome him to our physical stage soon. Here are a few thoughts Jeff had about the story. I've got some thoughts both about the play Taming of the Shrew itself and about the story. They're both pretty complex. Um... Taming of the Shrew has to be considered one of the most problematic plays in the Shakespeare canon. Do you play it straight and have Petruchio tame Catherine and somehow wind up with a story at the end where they learn to love each other and understand each other, which can be really a difficult sell to a modern audience? Do you muck around with it and have her tame him at the end? Do you have her kill him at the end, which some directors have thought? Or does she just end broken and miserable and you're supposed to walk away with a fable about how misogyny can ruin someone's emotional state as well as their life? Uh, I was once in a production of Taming of the Shrew where the director decided to shine a light on the play's misogyny by overdoing the violence um, and misogynistic treatment that Petruchio shows towards Kate. He also took it out on Bianca, who, frankly, as Kate's sister in the play, is treated like a piece of meat and a piece of property. The cast itself was so upset by having to do this production that the young actor who was playing Bianca locked herself in her dressing room one night and would not come out until the stage manager opened the door with a key. So personally, I think it's time to put Damien the Shrew to rest. I don't think uh, there's a way to muck with it. Maybe someone will prove me wrong, but I think we could say goodbye to Taming of the Shrew as a play in the Shakespeare canon that people want to do. Now, in terms of the story, I really appreciate the interesting take on this, that it, uh, it, it having a gay couple be the director and the Catherine in this, in this scene. It's a good story. It's compelling. And there's the wonderful fun twist at the end. You know, it leads to some questions. Is Cameron playing Kate as male or female? You don't know from the story. And I think that's an interesting concept that one could certainly play with. Uh, there is, unfortunately, I have to bring this up, the unfortunate stereotype of the bitchy gay couple. It's the trope that the story sort of hinges on, you know, bitching at each other, but relatively sweet and in love at the end. It's very reminiscent of Cameron and Mitchell on Modern Family. And while I think it does work in the story to give the story a twist, just like I think it might be time to say goodbye to Taming of the Shrew as a play that we want to produce, 
I'm also hoping that ultimately we can get rid of the trope of the bitchy gay couple. It's a little, a little too easy at times. Uh, but I'm really, uh, interested in the way that this will play to an audience and see how people take it as they hear this new telling of Shrewd. Whitby Telecom, connecting our community. We exist to make internet, phone, security, and entertainment technology simple and worry-free so our customers can live better, happier lives. So, live the life. We'll connect it. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium. That was Shrewd, read by Jeff Natter. Scott is here to chat with us today about the story and the inspiration behind it. Hey, Scott, welcome back. Hi, Alina. Hi. Um, so, Shrewd, uh, can you tell me what what inspired this story? Well, obviously, um, you know, inspired by Taming of the Shrew and... Uh, um, I just started to imagine, uh, you know, a production of Taming of the Shrew where um, somebody in the rehearsal room was behaving supposedly shrewishly. It's up to the listener to decide who the shrew in this particular story is, whether it's the director or the actor or both. <laughs> um, but uh, and of course, even the word shrew now is uh, is uh, not uh, particularly in favor, um, even as a, as a noun. But yes, it, it's a story that I think was inspired very much by observing rehearsal rooms where there were awkward relationships uh, that were part of the artistic process. Um, in this case, of course, those of you who've listened to it, I hope you have, uh, find out that this is a uh, married couple. Um, or I'm not even sure, actually, are they married or that doesn't actually say, does it? Um, and so, you know, it involves a, a level of nepotism that is, gets very awkward in a rehearsal room. But uh, whether married or partners or, uh, you know, I've been in rooms with mother daughters and mother sons, uh, certainly husband, wife, lovers, um, whenever there's a relationship in the room that is a private relationship, an intimate relationship, and that is brought into the rehearsal room, things can get awkward. And that was a thing I was interested in discussing. Yeah, definitely. And and it's so common, too, because so many of, as as we've talked about in recent episodes, um, very often theater makers are partnered with other theater makers. And of course, you like to work with people you like to work with. And sometimes those people are people in your family or people you're partnered to. And it can be really hard to separate that. And also it can be really hard in the profession to make sure that that never happens. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting balance to try to find, I think. It, it is. And of course, it's not just theater. It's any, any part of the entertainment industry. It's, you know, it's bands and it's film, you know, and of course, so many, you know, film actors got their starts because they had the last name of their star father or their star mother, or the tabloids made sure we knew that even though the last name was changed, um, I mean, uh, that they are part of a, a royal film family or a royal theater family. It is a factor in, in the rehearsal room, in the business, and it's one that we tend not to think about and talk about it, uh, unless we're having a beer after rehearsal. Uh, but it does have an effect on the rehearsal room, and um, it's, it becomes very, very 
awkward, um, especially when those two people aren't getting along. And of course, it's not even in the rehearsal room. I mean, there are times I know when I have been in a, a committee room um, or rehearsal room where you're perfectly aware that pillow talk has taken place between two major players in a decision and um, you can't talk about it. You can't you can't call someone out on it to say, um, well, how does she know that? <laughs> well, I know how she knows that. <laughs> that information was supposed to be confidential. Uh, you told me not to tell anyone. So how did that get out? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's very, very awkward. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't think it's a lot of, uh, a, a lot of, uh, um, public conversation about the dynamic. So this is what the story is about. Um, just dealing with that, that dynamic, um, and uh, how how troublesome it can be. Uh, what inspired you to connect that to the Taming of the Shrew? Um, well, my own experience with Taming of the Shrew was was really challenging, um, and so I think of Shrew as sort of uh, fraught anyway. So <laughs> um, when I um, when I thought about the play um, and my last experience with it and the power dynamics that were going on inside the rehearsal room, it was sort of a no-brainer that I would explore that. Um, and of course, you know, the story is very much about who's going to be in charge, who has the power here in this room, in this relationship. And of course, you know, actors and directors, it is always a bit of a, a power dance between who gets to make the choices, who gets the final say, um, you know, who has ownership. Um, so, um, you know, that sort of uh, power dynamic is something I was trying to write about. And then, of course, the twist is that, um, you know, they, they're they partners. <laughs> Right, right. Um, let's chat a little bit about about the play Taming of the Shrew and um, your that that is a play that comes up quite often uh, mm. in production. And I'm curious, you know, in in a post Me Too world, there's a lot more, and even before that, really, there's there's a lot of conversation about like what's really problematic about this play. Um, and I'm curious how you've seen that evolve over your career. Well, every time I've seen this play, it's always about looking at uh, Catherine's speech at the end and working backwards. Um, it's always about how are we going to justify that speech? You know, um, Kate's finally, quote, being tamed. Um, and most directors have to start there and try to figure out how they're going to arrive at a place that's acceptable to a modern audience. I've seen very, um, very, very poor jobs of that. And I've, I've also on occasion seen it done rather well. I'm not sure we may have talked on an earlier podcast about a production with uh, Vilma Silva um, uh, playing Catherine years ago at the festival. And in my mind, that was actually one of the most successful endings. Um, she somehow managed to speak the speech um, in a way that was both... Um, uh, you know, respectful to women, but serve the arc of the play, uh, you know, in just the right way. Uh, I forgive me, I cannot remember the director or the year, but uh, I have seen it done. I think it's very, very hard and getting harder to pull it off, to be honest. Um, because either it's sort of tongue in cheeky, like, you know, see, see um, how I'm doing what my husband asked me to do, wink, 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 but I have all the power, he just doesn't know it. Or, the other end of the spectrum is just to play it straight and every woman out there is appalled that she literally has been tamed by her husband. Um, so, and of course, you know, it depends on who's watching this show because of course, you know, there are very, very 
conservative families who, um, you know, who truly believe that the, the that the the male is in fact the head of the household, and that there's absolutely nothing wrong with Kate's transformation at the end of Taming of the Shrew, and the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, uh, very very uh, liberal families who think it's absolutely atrocious that that's the speech that Shakespeare stuck to the at the end of his play. It is a spectrum. We have to remember that, um, a spectrum of, of responses to that speech. I, um, our, our local Whidbey Island listeners will uh, be familiar with um, Steve Lehman, who's a local falconer. And um, he sometimes gives falconry talks and those sometimes are part of auctions for local nonprofits. Uh, and sometimes those local nonprofits are Island Shakespeare Festival. And so I got to attend one of Steve Lehman's uh, falconry talks. And um, he talked about Taming of the Shrew. And the language in the play that is centered on falconry and the symbiotic relationship between um, a falconer and their bird and how there is a taming that is involved in that, but it's it's as the falconer is taming the falcon, the falcon is also taming the falconer, and so they're creating this symbiotic relationship of trust and, um, you know, t- food <laughs> and being taken care of, but. The way Steve talked about it was that it really is an equal partnership. And so when he goes to read Taming of the Shrew, that's what he um that's what he's reading in it. And that that really kind of um was interesting to hear and and has I've thought a lot about that since um since that talk and Steve if you ever listen to this, thank you for the inspiration, but I I'm interested in productions investigating that, investigating how, 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 where can we find a middle ground and there not be, you know, where, where can they both be tamed and both learn about themselves and have that learning about themselves bring them closer together as a couple? Do you know what I mean? I, I love that sentiment, and I, I love you know that metaphor of, of because obviously it's in the play taming um, you know a wild bird which ultimately really cannot be tamed, um, but you know and I completely agree with that that that's the ideal. It's very hard to get around text that says you know I am ashamed that women are so simple, um, or when he's when Kate is being thrown around um, <clears throat> uh, uh, Petruchio's. Uh, uh, cabin or house, as it were, and being deprived of food and being abused verbally, and uh, it's it's very hard not to bring our our modern sensibilities to the scenes, the dialogue, um, the the combat that goes on verbally and physically. Um, you know, it, it looks like domestic abuse, <laughs> no matter, um, and it looks like a capitulation at the end. Um, in the actual language of her final speech. So while I, I honor the idea that falconry means that there is a symbiotic relationship, it is very hard to get past the action of the play and the verbiage of the play uh, in a modern sense. Um, and I, th- I frankly think things gets harder and harder as time goes by. Yeah, I mean, it does. And you're absolutely right. You can't, all of that may be there. And yet, like, the words are also still there and the, and the situations are what they are. And it's, unless you, uh, do a lot of cutting, it's hard to 
change the story at all, you know? Um, but I just thought that was a really interesting sort of, uh, sort of insight into it and, and into what these people represent or what that relationship represents in terms of, um, our humans relationship to the natural world, you know? I think it's a really apt metaphor. Um, and, um, I, it is, as I say, it is in the text, so it, it, it makes good sense uh, to look at that uh, that imagery as um, part of the dynamic that Shakespeare was going for. Well, thank you so much, Scott. Thanks, Alina. I love diving into this play. Is so there's so much there's so much here to talk about, but um, yeah, it's a challenging one. Even though it's a comedy, it's it's a it's become a problem play. <laughs> as more and more of the comedies reveal themselves to be, I feel. It's hard to hard to get around those jokes that aren't funny anymore and mm-hmm. really never were. Well, the jokes are at the expense of of someone who is uh, essentially powerless. Uh, we don't we don't find that amusing anymore. No, we're kind of over that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much. We'll talk to you again soon. It's a pleasure. Bye. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Vomitorium, 38 short stories by Scott Kaiser. Sound design and composition by Orion Michael Schwamm. This episode was sponsored in part by the Goose Community Grocer, Goosefoot Community Fund, Whidbey Telecom, and by our listeners. Support us and learn more at islandshakespearefest.org.